Would you take your Bible and look over to the book of Ephesians? That's where we find ourselves. Some of you might be visiting or new. We've been expositing, I don't know, about a year or so through the book of Ephesians. And we've been expositing through 4, 1 through 6. And we come this morning to a new section in chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 7 through 16 in the weeks to come. So let me go ahead and read, beginning at Ephesians 4, 7, down through the end. I do think it is one of my favorite passages in all of the Word of God. And I do think this is the clearest, most pointed summary of the doctrine of the church in all of the New Testament. Maybe there's ways to argue that, but I do think this is certainly one of the most premier, if not the most important passage, and it's our privilege to study it in the weeks to come. But pick it up in Ephesians 4, 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high... He led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of stature, of the fullness of Christ, so that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way unto him, who is the head unto Christ, from whom the whole body being joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let me have a word of prayer and then we'll dive in. Father, we're completely dependent on you today, completely dependent on the Lord Jesus Christ completely dependent on the Spirit of God to make this passage sing, if you will, in our hearts that we'd grasp something of the length and breadth and height and depth of the love of Christ and then because he's the head of the body that we'd understand something of how this particular body needs to work. Father, be honored. Father, illuminate our hearts and minds. Call us to what is expressed here so clearly. We give this to you now in Christ's name. Amen. Now we've been saying for the last weeks together this little phrase, I'm not into really catchy phrases, but God is glorified when the church is what? Unified. That's the theme. And God is glorified in 321 And as you follow the track of the author, the pathway, he's glorified here in 4, 1 through 16 when the church is unified. And so we just got done for a few weeks talking unity, unity, unity. Now we come to a place, if you're taking notes, in 7 through 16, 
where the theme remains the same, but the focus becomes diversity. So it's unity. That's the theme over 1 through 16, but in a subset here in 7 through 16, the theme is diversity. And in fact, you'd have to just recognize as you walk through the text, look back again at verse 4 and 5, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. And now this rather abruptly, look at verse 7, but grace was given, here's the phrase, to each of us. Grace was given to each of us. So though there's oneness and there's unity, there is here now expressed the diversity of the gifts. So unity certainly doesn't mean uniformity. There's a diversity of gifts. And let me say, the diversity of the gifts feeds his purpose of the church being unified, okay? And so the language changes dramatically of how this unity is achieved. Now, one of the things I just want you to note for a moment here is when you read your Bibles and you see that theme that we took about three or four weeks on, on the glory of God, whenever you find that master narrative, I believe, of the whole scripture to be the glory of God, which is the revealing of his nature, the revealing of his character, that when God needs to be glorified in the church, it means that the church has its marching orders to ever and always expand our view of the knowledge of God. But one of the things that's unique, beloved, is that when I see that theme of God's glory, it's never very far separated from the gifts in the body. In fact, I'll show you. You can look there in 321. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. So to God be the glory. And now as we've just mentioned, just a few verses later, but grace was given to each one of us. In other words, his glory is going to be revealed in a diversity of the gifts that lead to unity, but God is glorified when these gifts are put into the operation. Look up, up on the screen. I got 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. As each, same theme as 4, 7, has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. The gifts are by grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, which, which is kind of funny. There, there was a time here when everybody used to sit on a stool, pastors across the, just to have a little chat. But when I see that, whoever speaks, he let him speak as he's giving the very revelation of God. In other words, it needs to be declared. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that, that's purpose clause, that in everything God may be glorified through the church and through Jesus Christ. So you got the receiving of the gift and God's glory, the last phrase, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I think you can see that his glory is linked real close, and 
These are right next to each other with gifts. Look at this other phrase, and I'm just highlighting a few of them for you. Go to the, the next slide. You know this one. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. In other words, the purpose, the aim of these parents who dedicated their children whether you're eating, whether you're drinking. You say, what does eating and drinking mean? It just means the most mundane things you do. As eating and drinking, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And then just not far separated from that is this. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And in the context, it's talking about gifts. So you got the last statement of 1031 and then just not far, that statement. Then, of course, look at the next slide is on Romans. You know this, at the end of that masterful doxology, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To God be the glory, to him be the glory forever and amen. And then just the next chapter, seven verses later, or six, I suppose you could say, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. I think my point is, very directive. This church can't glorify God without you. I think that's what I wanted to say. You say, well, Scott, I've never heard that. I know you've probably, some of you have never heard that. But, but I think what I'm telling you, and I don't want to get right into my exhortation. This is totally off my notes. Our church will glorify God when we're unified. Yes, yes, for sure. You're agreeing with that. Our church will glorify God when there's a diversity of gifts and you use His glory, often in the scripture, is not far separated or not separated too far from the gifts. And so I'm asking, and I don't mean this like in a hard-nosed way because we've got so many good things going on. Are you blessing this body by your involvement or are you starving this body by neglect? And I think I just want to encourage you, we need you. If I put a little syllogism together, it would go like this. Glory, okay, if you will, plus gifting, the use of the gifts, equals unity, okay? That's where he's going, and that's where he is in 321, and that's where he is in 4-7. Now watch this. Paul is putting forth, we've talked on that, a series of arguments that lead to unity. We looked at the call to unity. Go listen to that if you didn't hear that. It's on the worthy walk. And then we looked at the character of unity in the church, and the character is manifested in five virtues. Remember, humility was the first, then gentleness, then patience, then forbearance, and then an eagerness to maintain the unity that's been wrought amongst us. So we had the call to walk worthy, we had the character of these graces, and then we looked last week at the confession of unity in the church, and I think you remember that. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, etc., Now, as we come, you say, where are we in the text? Here, number four. This is a series of arguments that lead to this unity. The contributor of unity in the church. The contributor of unity in the church. And what you have then 
is the diversity of gifts from seven down to 16 and the gifts that are given. But I've titled this, I I think appropriately, the contributor of unity in the church and the contributor, I, I probably couldn't say it strong enough, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't want you to miss that. It's Christ. In other words, he loves his church so much, you would agree, that he died for it, but he loves the church so much that he supplied the church with everything we need. And so as I look out at you, I just know as one leader, all the gifts that we need to function in unity, to make a difference both in our community and around the globe, are right here. You say, boy, Scott, that's a pretty strong statement. No, the contributor of the unity in the church is none other than Jesus Christ. You say, why do you say that? Look at the text. Let me just give you a broad picture. It says here, grace was given, so we'll talk about that, but it's given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. In other words, it's Christ's gift to the church. There, look at verse 8, and we'll get there this morning. When he ascended on high, he led host of captives, and he, this is Christ in the context, gave gifts to men. Verse 11, the third thought, and he gave Christ the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Now, just a little footnote here. I have to be careful of this. Whatever weaknesses are found in a church or across our country are certainly not because of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, we got a lot of churches that don't have real pastors, some that don't have real shepherds. I get that. But a lot of times those churches aren't following the path that's been laid down so clearly to us in the Scripture. So, They're Christ's gift. He gave gifts to men. And in that context, he gave gifts to the church. And then he gave some specific gifts in verse 11, the apostles and the prophets, so forth. And so this is directed as we come now to 7 through 16. I'm going to say to individual gifting, but it is seen in the diversity of the gifts, okay? And uh, the goal is the same, a unified church. So you say, well, Scott, how can I understand Christ's contribution of the unity of the church? In four ways, in four elements. I'm just going to allow you to track with the thought of the author. His provision, we'll talk about that today. Secondly, his ascension into glory. Thirdly, the explanation, his explanation of what he actually did And fourth, his proclamation as he gave specific gifts in verse 11 of proclamation. But they all lead to unity. Let's dive in. His provision of gifts. His provision of the gifts. Look at verse 7. Let's go right into the text. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now you'll note there... Okay, that this grace was given. That, that's what you want to lock on. It was given to you if you're in Christ. It's a grace gifting. 
Now, I want to be clear, if you just turn back one page, look at chapter 2 in verse 5. There's salvation grace, you know this. He made us, he made us alive together, 2-5, with Christ, and you know this phrase, by grace you have been saved. Look at verse 8, you know this one by heart. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That grace and salvation, we know, is unmerited It's unearned, it's undeserved, it's free, it's gratuitously given to us. We didn't do anything to to gain that salvation. It was a grace that's given, it's built into the word. In fact, grace, God's grace, is not dependent upon the receiver. It's dependent only on the receiver, if if you will. It is self-motivated, It's undeserved, as I mentioned, unmerited, unearned, a free act of giving. That is God's grace in salvation. But I want you to know that's not his his point here. Look again at the text in 4-7. Don't miss this. But grace was given to each one of us. He's not talking here about salvation grace, so I just want to clarify that to you and for you. He's talking about a grace here that's for service. That's what he's talking about here. In other words, you're saved by grace, but he gives you another grace. He gives you a serving grace to build up the body of the Lord Jesus Christ that we might be unified, we might have unity, that we might have maturity, later in Ephesians 4, that we might even have stability. Here is a gifting of his grace for service. You say, Scott, how do you, how do you deduce that? Well, look again at chapter 3. We've seen this before. And the example here is the Apostle Paul. And by the way, just as you turn back one page, you're the same page. You'll note that on 4.7, Paul says grace was given to each one of us. And he includes himself. You say, how so? Look at 3.2. He's talking about he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus in verse 1 on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard. Now watch this. Of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. He's not talking about his salvation. He was saved in Acts chapter 9. But in giving, in getting saved, he was, Paul was, was given a stewardship of God's grace, it was actually given to me for you. In other words, this is a grace of service. Look at chapter 3 and verse 7. Of this gospel I was made a minister, not talking about salvation, he's talking about the gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, there it is, which was given me by the working of his power to me, Verse 8, though I am the least of all the saints, this grace was given. You say, what grace? A service grace to do this. To preach to the Gentiles. What a great text. The unsearchable riches of Christ. I think Paul never got over the fact that not only did God redeem them and save them, but he called them to the gospel. He gave them a grace gifting to serve the Gentiles. Now, as it relates to you, look back at 4-7 now. 
But grace was given to each one of us. What a, what a great thought. Every single believer inside Grace Church, listening to this now or somewhere around the globe, but here in this auditorium, is uniquely gifted by God. Some of you know that, and some of you have never thought about it. But the, the point is that he's gifted you and given you his grace. You say, well, not me. No, listen, let me just argue with the text. Look at the text again in 4-7. But grace was given to what? To each one of us. Each of you, I think you would affirm this, I know you would, have been placed into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. But I want you to know you've not only been placed into a local body, the Holy Spirit in calling you has gifted you to edify and mature and build up this church so that we might be unified. And so here is not only grace at salvation, but it's a, it's a grace in service. In fact, it says this in 1 Corinthians 12, 7. I don't know if that's up on the slide or if I need to turn you to some of these. Is that, there it is. And I'm just saying every place, it's not just here. You can't get away from it. To each. To each. Let me just stop there just for a second. Do you realize what I'm saying? Our church will not be what our church needs to be until you get busy. Our church will not become all that it could be for God's glory and his unity until we are working together, and I say that in love. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You've been grace-gifted, if you will. Look at the next slide. I think this will come up as well. In the book of Romans, I think I got it over there. Having gifts that differ, still the same theme, according to the grace, there it is again, given, watch this, to us. Now, you say, Scott, what are you trying to make a distinction of? I'm trying to make a distinction that some of you have grown up in a paradigm and you make tremendous distinctions between clergy and laity. You think, and, and not all of you, but I'm just arguing with you a little bit, you think that the pastors do the work, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible would say that each of you have not only been saved by grace, but you've been given a unique gifting of service in that grace. And I'm telling you, this body needs you. You say, Scott, are you, uh, are you just telling this because you're tired, Noah? I'm actually telling you this. My heart's already full. But I, but I don't want to be satisfied until all of us are involved. And I'm saying that because we, we actually super need you. In fact, here's 12.6, watch this, and I want you to see a distinction here, okay? You'll note that he adds something that Paul doesn't add. Paul just talks about grace gifts, but grace has been given to you. He doesn't use the word gift in Ephesians, but we know that's his, his context. But here, watch this, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And here, these gifts, 
are gifts of grace. We call them sometimes spiritual gifts. On the word there, where it talks about gifts and it talks about the grace given gifts, is the Greek word charismata. Obviously, the charismatic movement uses that as a word. But the truth is, the gift is a gift of his grace. It's built into the very word charismata. It comes from the Greek word charis, which means grace. So these gifts are an extension of God's saving grace to gift you for service, to build up, to unify, and to mature the local body. That's what the Bible says. Look at the next verse in 1 Peter chapter 4. I, I don't, it's all over. As each has received a gift, and it says, use it to serve one another, okay? Of God, as good stewards. Paul was a steward, you would agree with me. But you, you, I, I just, I want to say this to you. You've been given a marvelous gift. You say, well, Scott, help me understand what it is. That's not my focus this morning. I'm going to leave that up to Matt Tebow and our equipping, okay? Because I don't need to go spin off on a whole subject of spiritual gifts. But you've been given a gift. You've received a gift. And it's to serve one another as good stewards. You need to be a steward of your gift. You say, well, Scott, I've been in Christ 20, 30 years, and I've never heard that. Well, that's why we're teaching the Bible today, right? You've been given a gift. And I know some of you, I'm, you're probably arguing with me. I don't know if I have it, Scott. You, no, I'm telling you, you're gifted, uniquely gifted. And you can go read the list if you want in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4. There's a short list in Ephesians 4, okay? But he gave you this type of gift. You say, what is a grace gift then? Well, I call it here a supernatural gift given to you by Christ to serve others. And he's not addressing here, if you will, spiritual or excuse me, natural talents. He is talking about a unique God-given, spirit-enabled gift to serve the body of Christ in such a way that God is glorified, the church is unified, and the church matures. Now, you say, well, what, I have a gift? Yeah, you do. Look at 4-7, though. Fascinating how he gave them. We're still under his provision. Each was given, a grace, grace was given to each of us, watch this phrase, according to the measure of Christ's gifts. So what he's saying here is that these gifts, spiritual gifts, are freely given, but the Lord Jesus Christ, who's the head of the church, says, I, I don't know, it's just amazing. He measured those gifts out in variety, okay? He measured them out is the thought here. In, in fact, would you look over just for, to Romans 12 just for a second? What do you mean he measured them out? Let me show you what I mean. He proportioned them out. And I think it's enough for me simply to say that as he measured them out, he didn't give all the same gifts. Praise God for that. 
praise God for that. He measured them out. He apportioned them out. But would you watch this in Romans chapter 12, verse 3? Watch the language. For by the grace of God, I guess, given to me, he says, I say to everyone not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Just stop there for a second. He always begins the gifting with an aspect of humility. But then look at 12.3, the backside. But to think with sober judgment, each, here it is again, according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So here, he's going to link according to the measure of Christ's gift in 4.7, here to a measure of faith. And it implies here that the measure of faith for everyone is different. Now, let me be clear, okay? He's not talking about saving faith here. That's not measured out differently. Paul here in Romans 12 is referring to the kind of faith that it takes to operate your gift. In other words, if he gave you the gift of mercy, he's going to give you the necessary faith to operate that gift in the body. If he gave you the gift of teaching, he's going to give you the necessary measure of faith so you could operate that gift in the body. That's what he's talking about. Now, you'll note here to each one of us, and I'm in Ephesians 4, 7 is given, but look, each according to the measure of faith that God has, what? Assigned. Enough to say that as we address this issue of grace gifting, God sovereignly bestows those gifts. He assigns them. He's sovereign not only over your salvation, but he's sovereign over the gift that he's given you, and he's placed you into a local church. Some of you might say, well, Scott, I don't like my gift. Listen, you can't change it out and get another one. He gave it to you. He, He made you. To be who you are and you can't argue with God. You say, well, Scott, why does he even give them out in different measures? Why does he give them out in different varieties? Uh, I think you understand. There is oneness, but there's diversity. And God is going to be glorified. We're going to be unified in the diversity of gifts. And so he, he measures them out differently and think and talk like the Lord Jesus Christ. He hasn't put all the gifts in one person. Praise God. Praise God. You know, maybe it's just, this is just a free thought here. Even just being there at the Stepanians at 8.30. Special joy of mine is none of the pastors were up front. So, Scott, what are you talking about? Well, uh, I guess Blake led a song, but Peter was up there, Jeff was up there, the Stepanians were up there. It's because our saints are doing the work of the ministry. And so here, he gives the gifts out in a different measure and praise the Lord for that. Look over in 1 Corinthians, will you, Will? You say, tell me a little bit more about these varieties of gifts and these measure of faith. And by the way, as I, as I turn to 1 Corinthians 12, I think he measures it out just in the way that he wants. You might say, well, Scott, I just wish he gave me more of this. No, he gave you everything you need to fulfill your task. You say, but that man or that woman is so gifted. Well, praise the Lord. 
He's made you with another gift. Some of you would never get up here and want to speak behind the pulpit. Like you say, is that hard for me? No, it's not hard for me. But I'll tell you, there's some things that you do that I could never do. And there's some things that are dear to your heart that might not be dear to my heart. He gives these gifts out in different uh, uh, proportions, if you will, different measurements, and then he supplies you with the faith to do it. You say, well, look at 1 Corinthians 12, 25. He, you say, why does he, why does he do that? Well, he, he's going, I got to start back at 12, 23. In those parts of the body, we may think less honorable. He says, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, 24, which are more, he says, which are more presentable parts do not require, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that, what? Lacked it. Say, what? interpret that, Scott. You see me. I'm up here. The worship team's up here, but forget me. I look at what you do in the week, and I'm blown away. I, I sat down with a man this week, and I said, how's your arrival been here? He just, story after story of you, taking care of him and his family. He's new to the area. He almost couldn't describe it. Our body will always be to give more honor to the upfront gifts. And Paul's saying here in Corinthians, it's actually just the opposite. You say, why does he do that? Well, look, he said, but God, and I'm in 24, has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Here's why, purpose clause. That, they may, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for what? One another. He gave a diversity of gifts for this reason. Number one, to verify the gifts, to create diversity, and he did that, that we would de be dependent on each other. If I make a distinction here, in the Old Testament, they all had the Holy Spirit, but it seemed as though the Holy Spirit came on kings, it came on prophets, it came on Deborah in unique ways, in unique measures to be a tool for the Lord. But in the New Testament, he doesn't just empower the kings and the prophets, so forth. He empowers every one of you. And the truth is, as far from being a carbon copy of each other, the body of Christ is richly gifted with a diversity of gifts. You say, what's the point? I, I mean, there's lots of points I could make, but Christ has given the gifts and he knows what the church needs. So when I talk about the contributor of unity in the church, it's Christ. He has supplied Grace Church of the Valley with all it needs. We just need you to put your roars, your, your oars in the water. Look back at 1 Corinthians 12 just for a second. Let me just highlight the diversity and look what it says there. It says there's a varieties of gifts, right? Diversity, 12.4. But the same spirit. There's a varieties of service, many multifaceted, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in every one. I love that text. There's diversity. 
In fact, if you will, look down at 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For just as the, what, the body is one, we, that's where we were, it has many members, but all the members of the body, though many, are one body, and so it is with Christ. But now verse 15, and you've read this before. If the foot should say, because I am not the hand, I do not belong to the body, that would make it, would it make it any less part of the body? If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body, he's kind of being funny, were an eye, just imagine a big eyeball, okay? That, what would be the, where, where would the sense of hearing be? But if the whole body were near, where would the sense of spe- smell be? Look at verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body. I love this. Each one of them as he chose. Listen, we need you. My heart is full. I'm so thankful for you. But some of you have been sitting, you know, take it in love. We, we can't have you sit. Some of you might even be new and you might say, hey, I need to, I need to grow. That may be true, okay? But I just want you to know within time, God wants you to be built up. And then he's grace gifted you. He's given you a stewardship that you need to use for his glory, In fact, I I won't take you there, but in Corinthians and in Romans 12, it says because you've been given a gift, and the NASB puts it this way, exercise your gift. And you don't need a ministry per se. Listen, some of you might have the gift of mercy. And there's people with broken hearts that came in today. And you don't need a table. You don't need to sign up. You just need to go give them mercy. Some of you have the gift of exhortation and it needs to be used in the body of Christ. Some of you are teachers and you need to teach, but you are a steward of that gift. Listen, let me just say this. I don't know. For some reason, don't hold this against me. I've not watched one minute of the Olympics. And that's not spiritual, okay? I'm just saying we didn't have a TV that brought the Olympics. I I do follow it a little bit on the news. I know that Allison Felix is the most decorated athlete in the history of the Olympics in women's track. Her father was was a professor at the Master's Seminary. I'm so glad to hear that. These people are gifted, but do you think your gift is less than that? You say, oh, I'm not that fast. Well, where you, where you, where's your gift and what part are you going to play? But listen, you, you could see maybe the passion come out in me. I'm just saying we need you and I want to encourage you. And some of you are brand new and it takes time. The membership class starts next week. But you got to use your gift. Listen, just as Paul, I'm going to make that, I meant that. Just as Paul was gifted by grace to serve, so too you have been gifted uh, by his grace for your role in the body that we might be unified and mature. You see, but okay, Christ gave the gifts. But when did he do that? Well, let me show you. Look back in Ephesians. I'll tell you. It's, it's here. 
It's, it's all spelled out in the Word of God. You say, when though? Eh, this is amazing. Therefore, it says, and I'm in 4.8, when he ascended on high, he's going to talk about here the gifts, he led hosts to captives and he gave gifts to men. And in saying he ascended, what does it mean? That he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. So, the contributor of unity is seen first in his provision of gifts, but secondly, in his ascension to glory. His ascension to glory. And you, what do you mean ascension? I'm talking, Paul's talking about the ascension. I'll make that clear here. What's fascinating is I'm asking the question as I do my homework why didn't he at verse 8, at the end of 8, when he says that he gave gifts to men, and I'll take you into that passage, why didn't he just go to verse 11? That's what I want to know. And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers. But he doesn't. He gives us verse 8b, he gives us verse 9, and he gives us verse 10, he masterfully, it's the scripture, uses Psalm 68 to show how Christ secured the right to bestow the gifts in 8 through 10. So I don't know how to say it. Here's the verification of the giving of the gifts. Here's the proof of the giving of the gifts. His provision for the gifts as he gave the gifts. And now, secondly, on his ascension to glory is the verification. Now, he quotes there Psalm 68. So would you go back there just for a moment? Psalm 68, I might as well show it to you and not just comment. And the reason I think show it to you is therefore, and I don't need to go off on this, therefore it says. In other words, the scripture says. And what the scripture said by way of David in Psalm 68 is what Paul says. Therefore, the scripture says, and what scripture says, and when it says it says, it's authoritative. So I think I should take, there to, take you to Psalm 68. Let me say this succinctly, that Psalm 68 is described as, God is described as a victorious warrior. It's the best way to say it. That he rescues Israel from all of their enemies. In fact, just glance at it real quick. 68.1. God shall arise. His enemies shall be scattered. And those who hate him shall flee before him. And he's going into this victorious warrior mode. Look at verse 7. Oh God. Verse 7. When you went before the people, when you marched, and he's looking back in their history, through the wilderness, okay, he says in verse 8, the earth quaked, and he might be in reference there to Sinai, the heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. He said, when you're the victorious warrior, look at verse 12. Verse 12, the armies, or the kings of the armies, they flee, they flee. The women at home divide the spoil. Look at verse 14, when the Almighty scatters kings, there 
let the snow fall in Zalman. And so he's just, he's driving, he's conquering, he's the victorious warrior. But what you want to see is verse 17. The chariots of God are twice 10,000, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai, the Mount Sinai, is now, he pictures, in the sanctuary. And now this. There's our verse. Verse 18. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train, and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Paul in Ephesians 4.8 is quoting Psalm 68, verse 18. Let me just say here, the imagery is of a conquering, picture this, a conquering military leader. And as he's went in and conquered, as he's went in and taken captive captives, he comes back with the booty or with the spoil And he comes back as a conquering king, bringing all the spoils with him. He has not only crushed the king, he has crushed the opposing army. He went in and took all the spoil, and this conquering king is now coming back to his people, if you will, and giving gifts. So in Psalm 68, God is revealed as a conquering king. Let me say this, but now in 4.8 of Ephesians, Paul is using that imagery in reference to the person of Christ. What the psalmist said concerning mighty God is now fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Psalm 68 is a messianic psalm fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. You say, well, how so? Look at Psalm 68, 18. You, 68, 18, ascended on what? High. In other words, Christ came, Christ conquered, Christ defeated all of Satan, all of his host of demons. He died on the cross, and I'll take you to this in a moment, he went into the ground, he, raised, he was raised on the third day, and then we know from the book of Acts, he ascended, if you will, on high. In fact, look over the book of Acts, let me just show you this. I, I think you know this truth, but I don't want to always assume. He, he's talking here about the ascension. Go back to Acts chapter 1. Some of you read Acts every month in your Bible reading, and this will be familiar. But in Acts 2, 1, and I'm in verse 2, notice the language, until the day, 1, 2 of Acts, when he was taken up. That's his ascension. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles um, whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them over 40 days and speaking, he says there, about the kingdom of God. But look at verse 9. And when he had said these things, they were looking on in Acts 1.9. He was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. We understand. He ascended. Look at verse 11. 
The, remember the, the two men, the angels? Verse 11 said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was, take, who, who was taken up from you into heaven, ascension, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And it says the same thing in Acts 2.33. Go back to Ephesians just for a second. He's talking here about his ascension into glory. And hang on with me. I haven't really made the, the, the connection here. Go back into Ephesians 1. Do you remember there when he was talking about the death of Christ on the cross? And in Ephesians chapter 1, he worked in Christ, speaking of the power of God. When he raised him from the dead, here it is, and seated him, raised him, certainly to appear, but raised him and put him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus Christ, by virtue of his death, by virtue of his resurrection, defeated his, his enemies, and he ascended on high. And he led captive, literally, a host of captives. So what's the point? Let me make the connection. Paul interprets Psalm 68, if you will, Christologically, and proclaims Christ's death and resurrection as conquering, ascending king, he takes captive. He took Satan captive by defeating sin, by defeating death. He took the curse captive by dying in our place. Peter would put it this way in 322 of 1 Peter, that he's gone into heaven, he ascended, after angels and authorities and powers had been subject to him. And what's the point? I hope you get it. And in defeating his enemies, the text says, Psm 68:18, and in Ephesians 4:8, he gave away gifts. So the point would be that he gave you a gift. Say, so when did he do that? At his ascension. At his ascension. And then in chapter two, as Peter preaches, Pentecost begins, the church is formed. But when he ascended on high as the victorious king, he placed into your hands, into your heart, into your feet a far greater gift than any Olympic athlete, okay? The conquering king. Now, you know, it's interesting. It says here, if you're back in Ephesians 4, it says that he gave gifts to men, and I still think he's talking to all of us, 4-7. But in Psalm 68, it says that he received gifts. Some people think that's a big problem. 68, 18, he received gifts. Paul now interprets it under the inspiration of the Spirit of God that he gave gifts. And I don't think there's any problem there. The conquering king, whether it be in the Old Testament or in Christ, would receive the gifts to give them away. It's just the same way of giving the same truth. You say, well, Scott, what in the world does that mean in verse 9? In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended? And I've already read it. If you want to know what that means, 
you got to come back next week, okay? Because we're out of time. But, but here's the reason. Your gift that he ascended and he placed into this body of yours, not only the possession of the Holy Spirit, but a spiritual gift. And I want you to use it. And I just would want to say, we need you. Listen, can I just finish with one remarkable story? I think I've shared it once before, maybe some years back, but it was an article in the LA Times. It's kind of an amazing article. And I thought, has this ever happened to you? It was an article by a man by the name of Peter Stumpf, S-T-U-M-P-F. He was actually a professional musician. He was a musician with the L.A. Philharmonic, you know, the people at the, at the bowl there. And he's just, and he was writing, he, he got home, actually, and he left his instrument on his Los Feliz doorstep, okay? Okay, he left it on the doorstep. And there was a thief riding a bike, And the thief came up to his doorstep, saw this case, and took the case and rode off on his bicycle. But there's a big problem there, is big problem for Stumpf. He, uh, big trouble. He lost an instrument that the Philharmonic owned, and what he lost was a Stradivarius cello. It's a pretty big case, right? It was worth... $3.5 million. And the thief, can you picture this? Rides away with a cello on his back. That's a problem, right? The cello was eventually found by a 28-year-old nurse in a dumpster in Silver Lake. (laughs) Amazing. It was returned, slightly damaged, but repairable. A $3.5 million cello in a dumpster. You say, that's unbelievable. But I would say an infinite gift, far more than that, has been given to each one of you. He's given you an amazing gift. You got to go read the gifts, and maybe we'll talk about that. You've been given an amazing gift, and I just pray, amen, that you would use it for his glory, that you would tune it for his glory. So we'll look more at this next week. Would you bow your head with me?